greatest movie of all time. You have been condemned to die by a jury of your peers. Sentence imposed by a judge in good standing in this state. Do you have anything to say before the sentence is carried out? Today on the podcast, The Green Mile. Heaven, I'm in heaven. And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak. And I seem to find the happiness I see. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Welcome, everybody, to the greatest movie of all time podcast. I am your co-host, the most electrifying man in sports and entertainment, Rick Barrasso. And I'm just Derek Smith for right now because I want Rick to like me. Well, Derek... I think we're too late for that. Oh, shit. <laughs> but this is the show where we are going to watch every single movie ever made, and we're going to help decide which is the greatest of them all. Derek, how are you doing today? Just walking the line, walking the line, trying to get right with walking Jesus. Walking a mile, walking a mile, walking that green mile. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're, you know, we're watching the Green Mile today. We're talking about the Green Mile today. It is our first in a series of five into a deep dive into a, the Best Picture nominees for the year two thousand. But let's talk about uh, well, actually, let's first quickly go over movies from nineteen ninety nine. Yes, that are not going to be covered in this series to give you an idea of what kind of crazy year this was. How about The Matrix? How about oh. Fight Club? How about Blair Witch, Being John Malkovich, Eyes Wide Shut, American Pie, Toy Story 2, Office Space, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, Magnolia, The Iron Giant, Election. How about Austin Powers 2, The Mummy, Galaxy Quest, Any Given Sunday. And keep in Dogma. mind, we're, we're going to watch all these movies. And we're going we're to get to them eventually, just point. not over the next five weeks. And just goes to show how completely stacked and crazy this year was but we're going to take a look at five I, I think really good ones and we're going to start today with the green mile but before we get to that let's talk about last week last week we had friend of the show chris bonapani on and we had we talked about annie hall and it got a little dicey in places but it's definitely worth a listen if you haven't listen to it already so mm -hmm. check that one out or anything in our archives we're on spotify apple podcasts really whatever app you like we are you can find us on social media we are the greatest movie of all time podcast on facebook at great movie cast on twitter we're at rick and rec on instagram and you can always shoot us an email at greatest movie pod at gmail.com get us those star wars thoughts we want to hear from you. What do you think about Star Wars? You love it. You hate it. You're in between. We want to read your thoughts on that episode. But today, though, we're traveling all the way to the year 2000 and the Oscars in the year 2000. And that's the year of the ceremony, not the year of the movie. And it is the Green Mile. Now, the Green Mile is the second Stephen King jail adaptation that we are covering on this show after the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> oh, and it is also directed by Frank Darabont, the same director. So he yeah. has a lane and he's stuck in it 
uh, for a while. It stars Tom Hanks as Paul Edgemore, Michael Clark Duncan as John Coffey, like the drink only spelled different, mm-hmm. and Doug Hutchison as Percy Wetmore, which is the most on-the-nose name ever in the history of movies because he didn't wet the sponge more. And mm-hmm. it's got an 8.6 on IMDb, 78% in Rotten Tomato, and only a 61 on Metacritic. 61? So, Met- you know, I'm saying I trust Metacritic just because they gave the Avengers a kind of a lousy grade too. I don't, I don't trust Metacritic. Well, the, the difference basically is Rotten Tomatoes is how likely are you to like the movie, right? So Rotten Tomatoes basically says you get a 78% chance of liking the movie. Metacritic says how good is the movie on a scale of 1 to 100? So if you – so Metacritic basically says – yeah, it's a pretty good movie. They're saying the same thing in a lot of ways. They're both saying, yeah, it's a good movie. But the critics don't necessarily like it as much. But anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about us because we're really the ones that matter here because we're trying to figure out what is the greatest movie of all time. So Derek, when did you first see The Green Mile? I can't recall the specific time I saw it, but I know I watched it with Gia, my wife. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm an emotional guy when it comes to movies. I, I, I cry at movies. I tear up at movies. I bawled my fucking eyes out at the end of this movie uh, to the point where I had to like get a pillow and cover the side of my face so that Gia couldn't see how hard I was crying. <laughs> So yeah. it was, uh, it's a very emotional movie and I loved it the first time I saw it. I've seen it about, I want to say maybe like six or seven times. I watched sure. it recently, of course. Um, but yeah, this is one of those movies where uh, I, I guess as far as the uh, you know emotional status goes, this is right in the top of the list for me. Yeah, this is Shawshank with the sadness turned up and a little bit of magic turned in uh, or, or uh, thrown in. It's definitely an emotional movie to watch. I think I first saw it, this would have been, I would have gotten it through a DVD. I didn't see it in theaters. I would have got it through a DVD on Netflix. So it probably would have been 2007, eight, that range uh, that I, that I first saw it. And I, I did really enjoy it. And we'll, we'll talk about it. There are definitely things to like and things to, to dig into a little bit with this one. But uh, in case you haven't seen it, we have to tell you what happens in it. So Derek, what song have you chosen? for your Spotify to time my description of the movie. Let's take a look. We're going to be doing, I'm going to do Back in Black by ACDC because it's for some reason the first one that just came up. All right. Well, we can do that. Count me down. All right. Three, two, one, go. Paul, an old man in a nursing home, tells the story of how he's a prison guard years before where he met John Coffey. Coffey was a large African-American inmate on death row who it turns out had the power to heal the sick and was trying to help his supposed victims, two young girls. Together, navigating an abusive guard, a troublemaking inmate who ends up being a real killer, and the illnesses of both Paul and the warden's wife. John is eventually executed for his crime, but the healing magic he possesses gives unnaturally long life, which Paul believes is punishment for letting John die. 26 seconds. All right. Excellent. So that basically covers it, but the performances, I think the best things about this movie are the performances because you have, well, we'll talk about it later, but you have some real heavy hitters, some real great turns in this one. But before we get to that, let's talk about our three favorite scenes as we do every week. Derek, what do you have for your third favorite scene? All right. Again, this is tough. There's a lot of big, big scenes in this movie. Yeah. Um, my first, uh, so my third favorite scene is 
when John Coffey takes away the warden's wife, Melinda's cancer. Yeah. It's so, man, I don't even know how to explain it, but like, it's emotional. It's, she doesn't know what's happening. She's so, she's so sick. And he goes into the room and he puts like, you know, his face to hers. And like, I can't even imagine what like the warden is thinking at this point. He's like, what the hell is happening? We'll get to that later. That might be something that I, uh, (laughs) I don't care for as much, but I, um, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful scene. She, he, he hails her of her cancer uh, she, she doesn't really remember what happened to her. She's like, the last thing she remembers is that she was being taken to the hospital to get an x-ray. And she asks her husband, Oh, wh- what, wh- did I get the x-ray? And, and, and Tom Hanks' character jumps in and is like, yep, yeah, you got it. And you're fine. And she looks at John Coffey. She remembers like his name and she gives him her necklace. And it's, just and it's a, a St. Christopher necklace. Yeah. It's a wonderful scene. And that is the saint, I believe of lost travelers. And she goes over like we were traveling in the dark and we found each other. That's right. Yep. So it very much goes, it's one of those sort of hints that maybe John Coffey is just sort of traveling in this world. He's not meant to stay. Right. Right. Good point. But yeah, that, that's my number three. My number three is a very different scene. And I wouldn't say favorite's a tough word to use for this one, but from the technical aspect of it and how it's shot and how it stuck with me and so many people who have watched. I think this is maybe the first scene people think of when they think of this movie a lot of times, and that is Delacroix's execution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spend a big portion of the movie learning to like Delacroix. We never learn the details in the movie of his crime. And this is one thing I think the movie does really well is other than, you know, other than John Coffey and, uh, and Wharton, Sam Rockwell's character, we don't really know what they did because it's not about that. It's about the prisoners are humans, right? So we just know this guy as as a human, and he's got a pet who he takes care of, and he's been abused by Percy. So he's built up as just this really, you know, good guy, and we know he's done something terrible. Yeah, he's he's definitely sympathetic for the yeah for the movie. Yeah, yeah, and it, we know he's done something terrible, but it's, I mean, and it's not a pleasant scene to watch by any means, but the it, Percy doesn't wet the sponge for his uh, electrocution and the poor guy just cooks from the inside out. And there's just yeah. blue flame coming out of his mouth and there's just chaos in the room and nobody, nobody knows what to do and everyone's sort of scrambling and just in horror. And these are the people that wanted this guy to die. And it really shows the, yeah, just the terrible weight that these you know, executioners must be having that the, you know, that to, to carry with them that, you know, Tom Hanks and um, yeah, David Moore seem to seem to, to realize and they seem to carry that burden. Whereas Percy just doesn't. And Percy's obviously a psychopath. Yeah. But it's, I think it's just, it's just a great scene. It's so effective at just the chaos and just the monstrousness of what these people actually have to do. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, what's your, what's your number two? My number two is John Coffey's execution. Um, again, it's, uh, it's, it's so emotional. It's, it's might be the saddest scene I've ever seen in a movie or at least in the, you know, in the conversation. Um, you know, just uh, just when John's walking down the Green Mile 
you know, he's walking the line. He's, he's, he's with his, you know, Tom Hanks and David Morse's characters. And he's just talking about the dreams he's been having and all these different things. And you're like, it's just so, it's so bad that like, you just, you wish it didn't happen. And then he sits in the chair. He doesn't want the, his eyes to be covered because he's afraid of the dark. Um, he sings I'm in heaven from the movie he watched. And it's just like, oh my God, like, why does this have to happen here? But it's, everybody's crying, you know, except for the people, of course, who think that, that, you know, that they, they think that, uh, that John Coffey killed their little girls, William Sadler, who's like, I think he's like, fry him twice. Yeah. Um, which is, oh man, it's what, what a, what a punch well, in the face the, the scene is. Yeah. No, that, that's my number two as well. Um, and it just, it absolutely rips your heart out. And the thing is, uh, William Sadler's character, know it with the information that he has is completely justified in feeling the way he's feeling. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's one of the little pieces where, yeah, they, the, the, the guards are really the only group that, that know for sure that he didn't do it. Right. And let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is there a scene in the movie where Tom Hanks's character goes and talks to the warden and tries to convince him that John Coffey didn't do it? Because I remember seeing a scene like that the first five times I've seen the movie. I watched it again on whatever Netflix, whatever I watched it on, and that scene wasn't there. No, but there's a scene where his wife asks him to do that. And Tom Hanks, like, he just, he doesn't have the swing, basically doesn't have the power to, to do anything. Right, I it. thought there was another scene. Okay, okay. Yeah, it would have, I mean, this, like, stay of execution would have to come from, like, the governor of the state. Right, right, yeah. right, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah this, and, this, this scene packs uh, just a lot, and, it, and it's, uh, it's a punch to the gut. I, yeah, and I love, you know, from, from Tom Hanks, it, like, everyone's, everybody's, scene everybody's performance in that scene you know from michael clark duncan to you know tom hanks especially you know david morse being there to like as like the hand on his shoulder to be like hey this is you know this is something that you have to do to barry pepper is just can't control his him you know, he can't control his emotions from the second that he walks into the room right and tom hanks is like hey man you have to you have to wipe your eyes before you get up and he does and he just still he's still still coming out it's it's so affecting this scene and you really love you know, grow to sort of love John Coffey throughout this movie. Oh yeah. But at, you know, at the same time you have to take into account John doesn't want to be alive at, at this point. It's, you know, he says, what is it? You know, daggers in his head all the time. Right. All right. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your number one? So my number one is one you've already mentioned, and uh, it's it's Delacroix's execution, and yeah. and and the way I worded it was, Percy doesn't wet the sponge, and yeah. just fucking chaos. And I love this scene so much because, you know, and like you said before, like it's it's a really sadistic scene, but it's it's so well made, yeah. and that's why it's my number one. Um, the effects of Delacroix actually dying, the sparks and everything, and the the intensity, the sounds, the music, the the you know everything that's happening. Everyone's kind of going insane. They make Percy watch halfway through, like you, yes. you know what you did. You watch, and then also the things that I like is it flashes back to the jail cells, and while Bill's going crazy, like yeah, yeah, and and then John Coffey is 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 freaking out, and he's feeling he's feeling it, and then the mouse jumps out of his hands and, and runs away, and it goes back and forth. The lights are flickering and every, it's just such a powerful scene. It's like, it's just so well-made. Um, and it's so sad too. And, 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 and terrifying. 
yeah. it's just a scene. I think that besides the scene that John Coffey dies, the scene stuck with me the most, I think, yeah. uh, especially Percy being such a dick to, uh, you know, Delacroix right before he dies. Like he didn't need to know that information. Like, yeah. He's about to die. And you tell him that there's no mouse world or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty upsetting. It's pretty sad. Um, that's my yeah. number one. So I'm glad you said that because my number one scene is the direct consequence of that scene. And that is when John Coffey uh, enacts his vengeance yes, for, this is for his wrongs. Literally a scene that was in my top three for a while. I kept shuffling them around. And here's the thing. My other two scenes I think are probably better crafted scenes from a filmmaking standpoint. And this one is just... I was so happy to see these two characters, Percy and Wild Bill, get what was coming to them. Right in a row. Right, just immediately. It was just like two birds, one stone. Yep. And here, here's a question, because it's, cause honestly, it's like John Coffey grabs Percy, who is just the worst. Here's the question, though. Right? Percy and Wharton, where do they rank on the worst human being or like worst things that we've covered, worst people that we've covered on the show. I want to say they at least have to be somewhere in the top 10. I think Percy is too behind Hitler. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's Hitler, such a dis- Hitler's the worst. We can't, you know, but like, well, you, you got to think that like, okay, so yeah. So, so yeah, Percy's very bad, but like, Wild Bill's a murderer. Like, he's a sadistic, psychopath I would, murderer. I would argue that Percy was on the road to murder. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. If he had, like, used his connections to get... To get well, maybe, maybe Percy's three after... Um, our guy from Shawshank, <laughs> our other Stephen King jail movie, the, uh, the I guess the the guard from Shawshank and the uh, the, 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 the and Boggs as well. Boggs is pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it, just but, think if per- Percy was in charge, if he was in charge, if Percy, instead. yeah, if Percy was in Tom Hanks's position, and I think it's very reasonable to believe that he could have used his his connections to to get. Tom Hanks a spot. How many of those prisoners would he have beaten to death or tortured for? I mean, like, I was like, torture, torture definitely. Beaten to death, I feel like after a couple, he'd, he'd be out of that job because they'd be like, all right, what the hell's going on under your, under your watch? <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't because I bet he could, like, it seems like no matter what he would have done, that his, his aunt and uncle would have covered for him. I well, the thing like, is, too, is like the warden was ready to like, get rid of Percy after that incident with Delacroix. And Tom Hanks was like, no, no, no. Like, it was. He covered for him just because they wanted to get him themselves, but I don't know. I, I, I agree with you, though. I think they're both – Wild Bill and Percy are just fucking horrible people. Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, like, Wild Bill, he's kind of – and Sam Rockwell's so fucking great. He didn't quite make my – the medals were really hard, and we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Yeah, I, yeah. I have the opposite, I think, from you. Um, but he's, he's, he's so – Sam Rockwell. Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Sam Rockwell is so great in everything. In everything. Yeah. He is just he's never bad. Even in bad movies that I've seen him in, he's like spectacular in them. Yeah, absolutely. Right. He's uh he, he does that little dance 
in movies yeah. that he does. And you know, he's just, he's so despicable as a villain. And he's so likable as a, as a good guy. Uh, yeah. And, and it, you want, you want to like him. He's almost like the opposite of Percy where it's like, you, you want to like him. At right. First. Cause, Cause he's funny, but he's yeah. fucking nuts. He's and, fun. Yeah. He's, and like, he kind of torments Percy. More, more, almost more than anybody. Right, while, right. While he's in right. there. Yep. And like, even when he's like, kind of a, you know, shitty to Tom Hanks, he's shitty in like kind of a funny way. Right. It, it, like, he, or you know, he spits the, the, moon, the pie. moon pie on on David Morris, and just, even Tom Hanks, like, you gotta admit. And, and somebody like, <laughs> and somebody like, like Wild Bill, who probably doesn't get fed a lot, and he's sitting there wanting alcohol, wanting a drink. He gets a moon pie, doesn't eat it. He decides yeah. to spit in someone's face instead, and it's how yeah. nuts he is. Like, and then he's just being dragged into the padded room. He's like, oh god, no! <laughs> and then he's like, they come back out. He's like, he's like, I'll be good. I'll yeah. be good. <laughs> I, I learned my lesson. Yeah. So that's our favorite part of the movie. Let's talk about our least favorite parts, Derek. So this is kind of controversial, Rick. I'm going to say this, and you yeah. might disagree with me. I don't, I don't know. It, it's not typical of me, but it's actually a scene that kind of bothers me. The scene is where the guards take John Coffey to the warden's house to heal his wife. Mm-hmm. And the part that bothers me is that they all get out of the car. Warden comes out of the house with his little, like, rifle. And he's like, what's going on here? What's going on here? And then John Coffey decides to get out of the car himself starts walking towards the warden. The warden's about to shoot John Coffey in the face with his rifle. And yeah. I feel like the guards don't do enough to stop this. Tom Hanks is like, stop, like, don't, don't, like, everybody calm down. Don't, don't, don't. This guy, this warden is about to kill John Coffey, about to happen. All of a sudden, his wife, you know, screams from the bedroom because she's very yeah. sick, which makes him lower his rifle, turn around, and then things, the scene moves on from there. If she hadn't yelled, would John Coffey be dead in that scene? Because the guards don't do enough to make this happen. If anything, I'd feel like, hey, listen, warden, calm down for a second. We will explain everything to you. Just lower your weapon and we will talk about this. That does not happen in this scene. They're just like, stop it. No, no, stop it. No. Um, this would have been, I mean, you know what I mean? Like for me, the storytelling here was like, okay, this is not realistic enough. Or maybe it is realistic and just dumb things happen. Or the guards plan, the guards plan this whole scheme and don't and don't act when John Coffey's about to get killed. I feel like not well, enough. Here's here's my question. Well, I think they're they're caught off guard because they're expecting everyone to be asleep. My question is, what was their plan if they were both asleep? Were they gonna like break in his house, tiptoe up the stairs, and like hold him down? Like no 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 no, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Like it, it that's that's kind of weird. Were they gonna knock on the door? Were right. they like what? Yeah. What was the plan? So. Yeah, and, and and the other guys in in the group were like not so into this idea, and Tom Hanks' character's like, no, 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 we're gonna do it. Come on, and they're like, okay. Cool. Yep. So we we find you know, but the plan isn't good. <laughs> it's a bad plan. I mean, there's no good plan in this scenario. I guess you could be like, show you'd have to show the warden proof. First is the only way this plan works. You'd have to like cut your arm or something. Be like John Coffey, heal my cut. We'll get, like we need to do right. something and show the warden. Yeah, they're, they're like warden, just calm down. This huge, huge man who murdered two girls. Yes, or, the child murderer. Yeah, he, he's gonna go in the house and just and just put his face next to your wife's face. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's right. Such a bad plan. Yeah, and I guess That's, like the, the the warden is. You, we do see the warden is just like I don't even know the term. He's just like totally compromised at this point just it, it not not in like he's corrupt or anything but in the fact that he's like just worn out 
by oh yeah himself. for sure he's so like he like has no he has no fight left in him yeah exactly that's a great way to put it good good point but yeah, yeah that's my that's my least favorite part is just that plan yeah so here's my biggest problem with the movie and it's not really with this movie because this is a this is a trope that happens a lot in in fiction and specifically a lot with Stephen King and I didn't name this this is just the name of it it is called the magical Negro trope. And I'm just going to read a paragraph from the website TV Tropes. Tread carefully. You'll be on there an hour if you're on there a minute. But I'm just going to read this paragraph. With such deep spiritual wisdom and sometimes, though not always, actual supernatural powers, you might wonder why the magical Negro doesn't step up and save the day himself. This will never happen. So enlightened and selfless is he that he has no desire to gain glory for himself. He only wants to help those who need guidance, which just happens to mean those who are traditionally viewed by Hollywood as better suited for protagonist roles, not, say, his own oppressed people. In fact, the magical Negro really seems to have no goal in life other than helping white people achieve their fullest potential. He may even be ditched or killed outright once he's served that purpose. If he does express any selfish desires, it will only be in the context of helping the white protagonist realize their own racism and thereby become better people. Does John Coffey not fit that to a T? 150%. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe that's a thing. Yeah. I can't even believe like, and I wonder if Stephen King like thought of this, like, I, I mean, because it fits so well, I'm sure he did, but like, um, this is a bad habit of Stephen King. Stephen King has his own section on this page under examples, but also like the fact that, and Stephen King, I think even has written later, like, I really wish I didn't make his initials JC because it's just so on the nose. Right. Right. I'd, I'd never even picked up on that. Yeah. Now, like Stephen King, you have to look at like in the stand, he has mother Abigail in yeah, there's characters in the Dark Tower. There's Dick Halloran in The Shining. Like, he, yeah, he apparently there's a, there's a quote where he's like, why why he does that and like why it you know comes up in his his writing so much. And he goes, he says, white liberal guilt. Stephen King's quote. So I think he he doesn't do it on purpose. I really think it's just like a bad habit that he has. But it's this is a story. You're going to run into trouble whenever a privileged class is writing a character from a non-privileged privileged position. And sometimes I know people roll their eyes when they talk about privilege, but this is what this is. John Coffey exists in, as in this story to make Tom Hanks a better man in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it's not that this movie does a bad job or that this movie is bad because of it. It's because it, it, it just fits into a larger group of, of times this happens, mm-hmm. you know? So that's just what I have to say about that. And that's something we're going to encounter as we, as we go along. Right. But that being said, there's a lot to like about this movie. And let's talk about the people who made that possible. And let's go to medals. Derek, who is your bronze medal? I'm just going to say this in advance. 
Yeah. And I've said this before, but I will go on. I will say this and we'll see if it changes in the future. This for me was the absolute most difficult movie to do this for. Um, there are so many likable and great characters yeah. and it's just, I, I, I feel bad for leaving off two people specifically. Yeah. I left off Tom Hanks, which okay. is really fucking hard for me. And I flip flopped at the last second just now. Mm-hmm. And Michael Clark Duncan did not make my list either by a margin. So my number three, my bronze goes to Doug Hutchison playing Percy. And I've only seen this actor in one of the movie and that was I am Sam. And he plays that role. Amazingly. His other big role is in the TV show lost. I don't remember him in lost at all. He is like the head of the Dharma initiative when they go back in time. Okay. I forget the character's name, but he's, he's, He's a very likable guy. He's he's like not a scumbag yeah. like Percy. Well, well, he kind of is. I mean, he married somebody like way too young. Well, in real life, yeah, that's... yeah, like that, that's a sketchy thing too. But he is so good in this movie. He's so despicable. Uh, I don't know. He's just so perfect for this role. Every time I watch this movie, I just like wait for the Percy scenes. You know, he's right. just uh, he's just well written character. Um, I give him. I give him all my props. He gets my bronze. Yeah, no, my my bronze is Doug Hutchinson as well. Just an absolutely, we've talked about it. Just a detestable character, just a absolute pure fucking shit heel. And there is not one second on when he is on screen that you don't want to repeatedly punch him in the face. Right. Like you just you just want to strike him, and all of the other characters around him want to beat the shit out of him. At all times. Even, even the scene where you're like, oh, wait a minute. He's trying to do good. He's reading a book about mental health, how to help mental health patients for his new job. Oh, no, he's looking at like sleazy like cartoon porn. Yeah. Like, and, he's just like, motherfucker. This guy. And, then, and then like the one scene where he's like, why don't we get a cigar box for the mouse? And really, it's just like, oh, he just wants to like hurt this guy even more. He just wants right. to hurt Delacroix even more. He's like, this is, this is him being like Ramsey Bolton at this point. He's, that's a great example. He, like, he is Ramsey Bolton. Yeah, you know, he wants, he wants to play with with Delacroix. Like, given if he was in Tom Hanks's position, that's exactly who he would be. And 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 that 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 yell from Delacroix when when he step when when Percy steps in the mouse is yeah. so devastating, and it's so sick. And it's just like yeah, and that like grin. I told you I'd get him. Like yeah, ugh. yeah, oh, just fuck, just fuck Percy. I'm yeah. glad he's, I'm but, glad but he's, he's brain dead. As, as somebody, as somebody who does theater and, and does acting, that's the type of role that a lot of people are sought after. Cause it's so much fun to play. Well, that's um, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the, my wrestling reference of the week, all wrestlers like being a heel more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because sure. it's so much fun to be evil and he's so good at it. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and, and, and you know, we'll move on to my number two at that point. Cause it's yeah. a great uh, discussion is in Sam Rockwell. Um, playing Wild Bill gets my silver. And I think yeah. the reason why he gets the silver is because I've seen him in movies where he's such a good guy and he's so funny and he's so likable and I just like yeah. love his scenes. And then in this one, he's just a piece of fucking human shit. And he's also nuts at the same time. And yeah. again, another role that's just so well-written. Uh, he's not just a, uh, a glaring psychopath who just wants to rip people apart. He's goofy as fuck. Yeah. He's crazy. He does all this crazy stuff. He's always jumping around, hopping around, mm-hmm. saying crazy things. He's the type of guy who like, He's good heel and he's a good face. Yeah, <laughs> you know Sam Rockwell and he's a, uh, he's a he's a he's a Bret Hart 
He's, he's yeah, a good heel. You know. He's a good baby face. Yeah. And, and just to do a test to like the roles he's been in, like, you know, just in like the movie Galaxy Quest, which also came out yep. this year, 99. You oh, know, my he, God. What a year for him. And, oh, and, wow. And, and that scene. I didn't you know, even put that together. Yeah. The part, the part in space when they first get there and he just screams in the top of his lungs. And then at the end when he like becomes like the chief of whatever. Yeah. And he just points at the camera and smiles. I'm like, oh, he's so good. And then seeing him in this where he's just – just detestable and nuts and like the scene where 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 john coffee grabs tom hanks's character and like shows him the past and you see sam rockwell's character while bill at the table taking a biscuit off the plate and he's just yeah. like smiling with those black teeth and you're like motherfucker this guy you know oh man he gets my silver i think we t- we talked about it was, it was off mic but we talked about you know harry dane stanton's in this movie and ebert roger ebert saying that you know no movie can be terrible completely if Harry Dean stands in it I feel the same way about Sam Rockwell if, if he's in a movie there's going to be at least one good part in it <laughs> like yeah, there's exactly you know he's gonna he's gonna elevate something so my silver goes to Tom Hanks and I just want to read Tom Hanks's run of movies that he starred in from 1993 to 2002 so 10 years this 10-year run of 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 tom hanks sleepless in seattle philadelphia forrest gump apollo 13 toy story that thing you do saving private ryan you've got mail toy story 2 the green mile cast away road to perdition catch me if you can that's fucking crazy what a fucking run that's insane and that's like Never mind, like his '80s comedies. Wait, you know? so like, w- when was the uh, the Terminal? The Terminal was 2004. Oh, a little bit. Okay, because because that, that one's another surprise. Like he's so he's, he's so good in that too. I think he's better than the movie. I, I have my issues with the Terminal. Well, no, no, I know, but, but like yeah. you know, it, it, it's you know to see him play a role like that, he's just so good. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's he's excellent. But just the run he's on. He is kind of America's sweetheart at the time. And this is just just vintage Tom Hanks. He plays the most likable guy. At no point is he, like, shitty to anybody who doesn't deserve it. Like, he's not, like, a kind of a Mary Sue type character. Like, he has his flaws. Right. But... Yeah, it, this is ju- this is just the perfect role for him at the perfect time. So Tom Hanks gets my silver. Derek, who is your gold? I also like David Morse's relationship. Oh, with he's Tom so Hanks's yeah. Character. He's really great. I, I saw David Morse in the Langoliers, another Stephen King movie. Yeah, and that one's it's like a childhood favorite of mine. I don't know why I watched it so young. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I really like David Morse. One of I think he plays George Washington in, in the HBO series John Adams. In John Adams, yeah, and he's he's excellent. Um, yeah. but my number one goes to Stephen King. Um, it, it's, it's, it was one of those things where I'm not going to lie to you. My first, my top three before this episode started were Sam Rockwell, Doug Hutchison, Michael Clark Duncan. I was l- doing this podcast. We were talking, talking, and I said, Stephen King, for some reason is not my number one. And I don't know why that is. Um, I, I, some of the stories he comes up with, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know where his brain, I don't know how his brain works because this story for me is really, really fantastic. I feel like every story he writes, like he, he, Stephen King, I put on the level of like Tarantino as far as like, I want to learn more about his universe yeah, and learn more about his characters. And like, I love how like both of them have characters from one movie who's connected to somebody else in another movie or another story. Yeah, And uh, I, 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 I find like, you know, this is similar to the shining where like, 
this boy has this power, you know, and, and, and he likes to do that. He likes to give these, these characters powers. And um, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Like, you know, you, you take somebody's uh, sickness away or illness away and you just like blow it out of your mouth, like flies or dust or whatever yeah. it is. And like, oh, what the fuck? Well, it's just like, he has a very interesting brain and, and Stephen King is uh, he's one of the best writers I've, I've ever read about or seen movies, you know, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, he gets my number one. Yeah, I'll say it again. If you're interested more jumping into Stephen King's uh, stories, go start with the Dark Tower and spread out from there. Yeah, because that's like that's where you're gonna get. I, I had a hard Stephen time. King lore. Yeah, I'm a, I'm about halfway through the first the Dark Towers book. It's a little bit hard the, to read for me. The the first one is doesn't jump into like the lore of it as much. Mm-hmm. It's very much like you jump jump in. It's like here's an episode from this guy's life. Right. You know, and the the end is is really good. Um, but the uh, the rest of it is not my favorite part of it. But anyway, mm-hmm. my gold goes to Michael Clark Duncan, and you know I think this is probably the only chance he'll get to get a gold that you know at least anytime soon that we're going to cover. Come on, he was great as Kingpin in Sin City. <laughs> in Daredevil, you mean? No, he's in Sin City. No, he's not. Kingpin yeah, he's- is Kingpin is a, is a Marvel look it up. Isn't Daredevil. Look it up, Rick. Look it up. I'm about to prove you wrong. Okay. So what do, uh, what do I get if I win, when I win? If you win, you get to take two movies from me in a row. So my pick will become your pick. Okay. So he is in Sin City, but he does not play Kingpin. I thought that was his character's name. His name is Kingpin in oh, Daredevil. Man- Minute. So what do we? Yeah. So the, so, but it's a tie. It's a draw. It's a tie. It's a tie. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. He's got a very small part in Sin City. But anyway, you know, this is he really becomes a huge star off of this performance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's probably at this point the only one that could play this character. I I did have one issue, and this is, didn't quite make my least favorite part, but they're really inconsistent with how tall the character is. Oh my God. Sometimes he's like humongous he's, compared to everybody he's, else. David Morse in the first scene he appears in, David Morse does not clear his shoulder. <laughs> he's, and a, then, he's supposedly 6'4 in the movie too. John, uh, yeah. David Morse says he's 6'4, I think. Yeah. And then like he's then face to face, like he's eye to eye with James Cromwell, who is a, he's a tall guy, but yeah, like, it's just like, okay, you gotta, you gotta be consistent with this shit. Right. Right. Uh, it's such a memorable performance. And even though it does, you know, fit into that trope again, it doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make you a bad person or me a bad person for liking it. Right. But it's, you know, because he got what he got and he played it to the best of his ability and he did a great job. He was nominated for an Oscar and you know, he's, it's just the image of that, of the gentle giant is, you know, it's, it, it sticks with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, those are our medals. Let's go into recasting. Did you have any recasting for this? I, I just don't, you know, I have one thing that I could think of, but like, I, I don't think anybody in this movie should be recast. I think yeah. that like there's, there's, there's probabilities of like, you know, who could have played that role. Yeah. And the one that I kept thinking of was um, the kid from American Horror Story season four, like the circus one. Yeah. Did you watch that show? Yeah. yeah. It was the kid who was fucking nuts. Crazy oh yes 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 i feel like he could have played percy yeah oh he would have done an excellent job he's a, he's a great actor oh what's his name 
I've seen him in a few things, but yeah. that was one that stood out to me. I was like, he he could play this role, even though I love Doug Hutchison in this role. I think that he, he the other one could have pulled it off too. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, Finn Wittrock is that okay. uh, is that is that actor's name? He's he would do a great job. In fact, I would say I did sort of. If I was going to cast the movie today. He would he'd probably be my Percy because he's he'd be fucking excellent in that. Yeah. So I did. If we're going to recast today now the racial politics of this movie we've talked about it a little bit but it's they cover it in the movie and it is there there is racial language used towards john coffee mm-hmm. but it, it's not baked into the story itself other than that other than that yeah it's it's not as much as you'd think for you know a, a story that leans on that on that trope other than the scene with Gary Sinise, which he talks about, you know, if you're going to, you know, one of those people, like you can't turn your back on them. There's not much like racial stuff in the movie. So I don't necessarily think that character needs to be a black man. Okay. But I don't want to whitewash this movie. Right, right. I, I see all. what you're saying. Right. So what I'm thinking is if I'm casting this today, Paul Edgecombe, is Denzel Washington. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. And John Coffey, I was thinking of like giant, intimidating looking guys. How about Rory McCann, AKA the hound? It's interesting. John Coffey. It's interesting. I just, be- you, you know, it's funny. And like you said, this is a, you know, this part of this is racial. I don't think I feel as bad for him than I do for Michael Clark Duncan. And a part of that is the racial stereotype. I think that, you know, he, he's, you know, especially in that day and age, because of his color, he is picked upon a little bit more or a lot more than a white person would. So I think, I think, I think that it, I yeah, think that I it think works. Right. I, I think, think it works in the story that he is African-American. I think you're right. But then we're getting into the, like, is this, you know, that trope, you know, are we falling into that? Because, right, right. You know, no, know, so it's it's a it's a it's you're walking a tightrope, yeah. and you know it could very easily be like you know the weird guy in the edge of town, and and not much about the story would be different. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, yeah, I was just trying to sort of play with that and trying to you know cast it a little bit differently. But moving on, Twitter follow this week, Tom Hanks. So we're gonna, we when we post this on Twitter, we will follow Tom Hanks as well, and we'll see what's going on with him america's sweetheart himself tom Hanks. tom if you're listening sweetheart be in our show be on a show come on what movie you want to talk about love to hear from you he, he wants to do like he, he comes on he's like i want to do the movie audition oh that'd be incredible talk he's audition just, with tom hanks just, he just the, picks, he's, he's like yeah i want to do hostel yeah i want to do a serbian serbian film, film? Yeah. We, we, yeah we just the same things as if yeah. thought the same thing yeah so Let's talk about what this movie does best. Because while not every movie can be the greatest movie of all time, we do think that each movie can do at least one thing better than any other. So, Derek, what do you have for this? What does this movie do better than any other? No other movie has ever punched me in the heart like this movie. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I, I wept like a baby. I was so sad at the end of this movie. Um, it's just so emotional. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't do it. He's a wonderful being uh it's just so sad and i think the a big part of how sad this is is like just the little details of like he wanted to see a movie 
he never yeah. saw a picture before, so they show him the movie. And then when he's sitting in the chair, he starts singing I'm in heaven. And it's like, as the scene progresses, it just, it just gets more sad the more details they put into this. Um, and then even after he, he's executed, you know, Tom Hanks' character then go ahead, it goes ahead and puts the necklace back on him that he was given. Yeah, every time I see it, I'm just like, oh boy, I have to like prepare myself a little bit for the scene. Right. It's like listening to the song Imagine. <laughs> yeah it's like you got to prepare yourself like okay am i gonna get through this whole thing without feeling like emotional um yeah that that's that, that's it for me so i've got one and then i've got a question that we have to we have to we have to tackle so i think number one this is the best michael clark duncan performance i think that's that goes without saying i think he he, he kills it in this and i like him he's he's i've seen him be funny and stuff but they, he absolutely breaks your heart in this one yep so here's the question. Is it this or is it Shawshank for the best Stephen King non-horror adaptation? So right off the bat, I just want to make sure that we're discussing all of the other movies that have been adapted. So what's the with, other one with the kids? With the kids? Yeah, you know, um, uh, River Phoenix. Stand by me. Stand by me. So we're yeah. already saying that these two movies are probably I, a better well. Story we haven't got the real cover. Stand by me when we get there. But the fact that this and Shawshank are so similar mm-hmm. in setting, in some plot points, like it's prisoners watching movies. You know, it's it's the innocent man stuck in jail. It's well, you know what? I'm not even going to sadistic guard. Yeah, I'm not even going to go ahead and, and yeah. Can these two movies be compared? Absolutely. Should should somebody go ahead and choose one over the other? Sure, go ahead. For me, I think it's so great to see that Stephen King can can write two separate movies based in the same location and make them completely different in a lot of ways. Right. Um. And and, and that to me is the is the uh, expertise of just a fantastic writer. Um. I love both movies. I think both movies are phenomenal. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I guess at the end of the day, no one's, no one's holding a gun to my head to pick. So I guess I'm just happy to say well, that. Well, Derek, I, both... I have some news for you. And I'm going to put... <laughs> Wait, who's that guy? Did you send somebody? Who's... No! Pick, Derek. Pick. Uh, if I had to pick right off the bat at this very, very moment, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to go with the Green Mile uh, by a hair. Okay. Just, be- just because of the emotional uh, punch it packs for me. Uh, and, and you know what? This is, like I said, this is a hair. And it's only, I think maybe because The Green Mile is, is much more refreshed in my memory at this point. I could probably watch Shawshank Redemption tomorrow and say, well, you know, Rick, I actually yeah. might think, you know, so they're very close for me. I, I, I love both movies, but I think it's Shawshank mm-hmm. for me, for me. Yeah. And it, no. yep, yep. But let's talk about really the reason we're doing this one. Let's talk about the Oscars this year. Yeah, we'll cover best pi- – so nominations is nominated for Best Picture. It's nominated for Best Supporting Actor, nominated for Adapted Screenplay, and Best Sound. Does not win a single Oscar. Oh, boy. Right? Tough year. It is a very tough year. It is a very tough year. So Best Picture we're going to cover at the end of this series. But let's look at the other major categories, the, the, you know, the, the directing and acting categories here. So – Best director. It is not nominated. Wow. Best director is won by Sam Mendes for American Beauty. Our good friend from the Her episode, Spike Jones, is nominated for being John Malkovich. Uh, Lassie Hallstrom for the Cider House Rules, which I've not seen yet. Michael Mann for The Insider. 
and M. Night Shyamalan for The Sixth Sense. Let's, you know, since there's so much crossover with Best Picture, I feel like, we, I think, maybe should wait until we see Cider House Rules to see if we want to put uh, Frank Darabont in. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Because that's the, the other ones, the other four are very deserving of a nomination. I can't speak for the Cider House Rules yet. I don't know that I have Sam Mendes win. Mm-hmm. I think I'd one of the other three and it'd be, a, it'd be a toss up for me. So, but let's wait, let's wait until we see all these and then we can, we can make a determination. Best actor. So I guess this would be Tom Hanks because, uh, because Michael yeah. Clark Duncan is nominated for best supporting. Right. Right. So Kevin Spacey, another, uh, <laughs> another, uh, problematic guy uh, that we've since we've been covering that in our series recently, and we'll talk about him later. Uh, American Beauty, Russell Crowe in The Insider, Richard Farnsworth in The Straight Story, uh, Sean Penn in in Sweet and Lowdown, and Denzel Washington, my pick for for to play this character today in The Hurricane. Is The Hurricane about the song that Dylan wrote? About I mean, the, it's it's the, about it's not about the song. It's about the boxer. It's about Ruben. Well, no, so yeah. is, is it based? Is that what it's about? Though, is that yes? It is okay. Cool. I, I didn't even know that was adapted into a movie. Cool. Yeah. Tom Hanks. I don't know that we put him in here. I don't think so either. I love Tom Hanks in this movie, but this is I don't know. Yeah, it's just like I said. It's it's not. It is a vintage Hanks performance. It's like it is the the type of movie and the type of performance a movie star in the 90s would give and he hits it out of the park but there's yeah i mean we'll get to american beauty it's like i think i think i think yeah tom hanks is an infected penis might get the role might get the nomination over him at this point yeah today uh the the, he i think tom hanks infected penis will get more votes than than kevin spacey who is like a living walking infected penis um (laughs) But yeah, um, you know, but that that performance is is excellent, and we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, uh, that, that that was a great one two punch, Rick. I, th- I think my Scotty Pippen to your Jordan just now. I I, just, I set you up for that great. I was joke. yeah, I was sticking my tongue out as I fucking dunked it. <laughs> so no actresses in this movie, really. No best actresses. Um, Agreed. Yeah, no no supporting actresses would really. Uh, yeah, you know it's funny. I feel like Stephen King doesn't have a lot of women in his movies. Once in a while, there's a couple, he, but like... Yeah, I mean, he definitely writes from his his own perspective. I should say stories. I always say Stephen King movies, meaning... Yeah, you know, but, but I mean, he, he does have, you know, he does have some interesting female characters. His protagonists tend to be, you know, white males at about the age that Stephen King was when he wrote the book. You know, that's that's a habit that he has. But he definitely has some great female characters. You know, if we, if we look at, like, Misery. You know, Annie Wilkes is fucking terrifying, but she's, a, right. she's an interesting character. Yeah. Be- um, I'm trying to think Beverly Marsh from It. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely great. But they're very rarely, like, Stephen King protagonists are, like, usually middle-aged white guys, and a lot of times they're writers. And it's, like, and a lot of times <laughs> they're alcoholics. So right, it's, like, right. well, uh, Steve great great job putting yourself in someone else's shoes wait I guess. a minute wait yeah. a minute this this, this middle-aged white writer is not an alcoholic 
This is not a Stephen King story. Oh, he's a recovering alcoholic. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, you mean he was in a car accident? Oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) He can't walk for some reason for like a year? That's weird. Stephen King, come on the show. We we love you. Don't be mad at this. So, best supporting actor. Michael Clark Duncan is nominated, but does not win. The winner is Michael Caine for Who? the side. Michael Caine for the side of House Rules, which he got. Oh, Michael Caine. Okay, Michael I was, Caine. I was like, "Who's Michael Caine?" Michael Caine. The Oscar was the size. We burned the forest down of a tangerine. Michael Caine wins best supporting actor. Tom Cruise is nominated for Magnolia. Michael Clark Duncan is nominated for The Green Mile. Jude Law for The Talented Mr. Ripley. And Haley Joel Osment for The Sixth Sense. Wow. It's the last time we'll hear that name up there. It is, except Michael Caine's speech in which he tells Haley Joel Osment, and I quote, we'll see you up here again. <laughs> he's just being a nice old man he's he really was he was like listen you're nine years old you're gonna be up here again listen yeah. li- li- listen if you have a if you have an issue here's a tissue <laughs> so going oh sixes and sevens uh, <laughs> that's my favorite joke in that entire movie <laughs> i want to go to all sixes and sevens <laughs> Watch a shot on a turtle it's like a baby's arm holding an apple uh <laughs> Best part of Awesome Powers 3, Michael Caine, I feel like. Exactly. My least favorite of that series, although still good moments. Michael I agree 100%. So, again, not having seen the Cider House rules, we'll, we'll talk about that more at the end of, uh, end of that episode. Uh, and I don't think anyone for best supporting actress either. Yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's really in it enough to, to – outdo because that's uh, that's angelina jolie's sort of coming up party she wins for girl interrupted uh, yeah, so now we come to the most significant important monumental part of the show and that is when i your beloved co-host rick barrasso beloved put, put 30 seconds on the clock and derek your other beloved co-host. Great. Explains why our subject for that week is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you ready? I'm Rick's number two. Let's do it. All right. And count you down. Three, two, one, go. Stephen King's absolute masterpiece, The Green Mile, is put to film, directed by Frank Darabont. This movie will make you cry. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you scared for certain characters. It'll make you, uh, in, it'll get you in complete shock by some of the deaths in this movie. Uh, this is uh, one of those movies that's just packed with everything you want to see in a film. Uh, I highly recommend it. And the ending is also very sad. Uh, we don't know where it's going to go, but this is one of my favorite films of all time, in my opinion time right in the dot 30 seconds great job derek that was uh you know maybe not the most fun movie to watch at 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 times but you know i I enjoyed talking about it and i think was a great start to our 2000 oscar series yes speaking of which what do we want to do next week i think we save the winner american beauty for last okay 
So that leaves us with the Cider House rules, the insider or the sixth sense. Why don't we do the Cider House rules? I've never even heard of it until today. Yep, we get uh, Cider House rules. Stars Toby Maguire, Charlize Theron, Delroy Lindo, Paul Rudd, Michael Caine. Erica Badu is in it, apparently. Yeah. It's, uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Because that's going to really open up the Oscar discussion for the, uh, for the rest of the series. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, if you can check it out, great. We'd, uh, we'd love to, to hear your thoughts on it. But really, also, we want to get more thoughts. We want to get more opinions on Star Wars because that is such a fan-driven franchise. And we get to that Star Wars episode after this Oscar series. We want to we want to have stuff to talk about and different people's opinions. So email that for us, be it a sentence or a paragraph to greatestmoviepod oh, 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 at oh, I'll send I'll send a paragraph. I'll send a paragraph about Star Wars. Derek, you don't, you don't have to. You're on the show. I know, but just to get things rolling. Okay. So next week, we on this show, we're going to do the Cider House Rules. Derek, what do you have coming up on our sister show, The Greatest Album of All Time? Sister show. So by the time this episode comes out, you will have heard uh, Rain Dogs by Tom Waits, uh, which is, um, if you're not familiar with Tom Waits, he, <laughs> check him out. You will be shocked and surprised by what the type of music he comes out with. Um, the next episode we're doing will be with our first guest, which is uh, Gia's brother, James. It'll be 10 by Pearl Jam, 1991. So we're moving on by to the, the 90s. By the point this, comes, this episode comes out, that will have been last week. Right. Yeah, it's confusing. I mean, I know a lot we're, of podcasts go through this, so I'm, we're not we're, alone here. We're going a little bit out of order, but yeah, they've got, you've got uh, Tom Waits, you've got Pearl Jam, go back, you get the Beatles, you get Pink Floyd, you get Frank Zappa. Uh, it's a little something for everybody coming yeah. up. And so check that one out and join us next week. I want to thank you so much for joining this week, next week, every week, last week, going forward, go back, listen to everything else. If you're listening to this and it's been you know a few months, go back and listen to stuff that came out after this. We're living in a, in a weird uh, Mobius strip of evergreen podcasts. So you can listen to whatever episode you want at this point that's out there. Subscribe, review, do us a favor. Derek, anything to add before we say goodbye for the day? No, I think, uh, I think we're good here. I'm glad we did this movie and I'm excited to move forward. Excellent. So, for the greatest movie of all time podcast, I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. And I've been your co-host, The Nugget, Derek Smith. You know, mostly I don't, Derek. I don't, mostly. Like, I don't like the fact that you make me feel like a nugget. Mostly Derek. I'm just tired of people being terrible to each other. Keep watching, everybody. <laughs> that was the best thing you could have said. <laughs>